You're going to love this. Just love it. I promise. Money back guarantee. Do. I got the feeling that something right. No, it's not. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Starting to get a little scared, actually. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. Stuck in the middle with you, right here on KPFK. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, 90.7 FM, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, and of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Netroots Radio and Liberal Justice Radio. Yes, you can run, but you can't hide. But why would you? I am Brad Friedman of the Brad Blog, and this is your Bradcast. Welcome to it. Glad you could join us here live this afternoon. We got a big, big, big show coming up for you. I will be joined momentarily by Michael Mann. Oh no, forget it, you uh, Miami Vice fans. Not that Michael Mann. Dr. Michael E. Mann will be joining me, author of The Hockey Stick and Climate Wars, Dispatches from the Frontline. And boy, this guy, uh, the front line indeed. Buckle up for that. Uh, Also, a little bit later in the show, Florida election officials are uprising against the Florida Secretary of State. It's a great story. You're going to want to uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, The the Secretary of State put out a new absentee ballot directive, and Florida election officials are none too happy about it. As a matter of fact, one told me that it is not worth the paper it's printed on. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yes, Santa Claus, there is a Virginia. We will have the latest on the Virginia Attorney General's race that continues and has a possible stolen uh, stolen election ahead via nuclear option. You'll want to stay tuned from that. Also, some good news. The American Legislative Exchange Council is losing members and losing money. That's good news for you uh, capitalists out there at ALEC. Also, another Pope update. Yes, I am becoming a Pope fanboy, so you'll want to stick around for that. And of course, as usual, Desi Doyen will join us with the latest Green News report, including the hottest spring on record down under and much more. Much more, by the way, including a comparison, which is rather striking. Uh, You can check it out at uh, bradblog.com. Rather striking comparison between the tactics used by Big Tobacco Back in the 90s, the denialists at uh, at Big Tobacco versus the denialists we're seeing today in the uh, in the global warming fight, the denialists at the uh, at Big uh, Fossil Fuel, as we like to call them. So that is all straight ahead. But first, in 1999, a scientific report used new methods to reconstruct our global climate past, finding the temperatures in the northern hemisphere after staying largely stable even increasing somewhat over the last thousand years or so, 
suddenly began spiking in the last 100 years. The paper included a graph to show that sudden rise in temperature. And that graph, uh, in the sudden rise, roughly mirrored the rise in man-made carbon pollution in the atmosphere. The graph became known as the famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, the famous hockey stick graph because it resembled exactly that. It was featured in the UN's uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC's 2001 report, and perhaps more famously, in Al Gore's film Inconvenient Truth. It also sparked unprecedented and incredibly well-funded attacks by the fossil fuel industry. Yes, big fossil fuel. And their political and media henchmen against the lead author of the paper and the hockey stick graph, Dr. Michael E. Mann, who suddenly found himself at the center of this worldwide witch hunt. Frankly, uh, it included smears, compared him to all sorts of vile people, villains, murderers, because, you know, he's a scientist, so uh, got to attack him. Uh, stolen emails, personal death threats, and grotesque political vendettas, frankly, by uh, anti-science wingnuts and opportunists like Virginia's happily outgoing Republican Attorney General Ken, Ken Cuccinelli, who attempted to subpoena man's private emails and much more. The attacks on man continue to this day, despite the fact that the alarming data presented by the hockey stick graph warning of unprecedented global warming has been independently verified now many times over and even extended to go back some 10,000 years or so. Each independent verification has found the same thing. Temperatures are rising now at an alarming and unprecedented rate, and I'm delighted that Dr. Michael Mann is my guest this afternoon. He is a physicist and climatologist. He is Distinguished Professor of Meteorology at Penn State University with joint appointments in the Department of Geosciences and Earth and Environmental Systems Institute. He's also the director of Penn State's Earth Science Earth Systems Science Center. He received undergraduate degrees in physics, applied math from University of uh, California at Berkeley, a master's degree in physics, as well as a Ph.D. in geology and geophysics from Yale University. Of course, that doesn't make him nearly as smart as Virginia's Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli and uh, Congressman Joe Barton. But anyway, he was also one of Scientific America. See, I got to give all of this. I got to explain all of this so you understand who we're talking to and you understand how his credentials are real and the denier credentials are not. Uh, anyway, he was uh, one of Scientific American's 50 leading visionaries in science and technology in 2002, contributed with other IPCC authors to the award of the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize. He received the National Conversa Conservation Achievement Award for Science by the National Wildlife Federation in 2013. He's also the author of more than 160 peer-reviewed and edited publications and has most recently published The Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars, Dispatches from the Front Lines, which is now out in paperback with a new guest forward, by the way, by Bill Nye, the science guy, which makes it worth, the, uh, worth, worth it alone right there. And it's just in time for Christmas. Dr. Michael Mansur, welcome to the broadcast. 
Thanks very much, Brad. It's great to be with you, and thanks for that wonderful uh, lead-in. Well, really great to have you here. I've, I've been uh, trying. We've been trying to get together for for quite some time, and yeah. uh, it's great to finally get you on the air. I've got so much I want to talk to you about. Want to ask sure. you about. Um, uh, particularly about uh, not just the book and the hockey stick graph and also what you've recently described as something rotten at the New York Times. But, you know, uh, there are so many new reports that seem to come out each and every day. Desi Doyen and I cover them as best we can on the Green News Report, and we have another one today. Let me very quickly read this from the U.S. National Research Council. Uh, I want to read the description by David Biello in the Scientific American today. He writes, abrupt climate Climate change is not only imminent, it's already here. The rapid dwindling of summer Arctic sea ice has outpaced all scientific projections, which will have impacts on everything from atmospheric circulation to global shipping. Uh, So warns a new report from the U.S. National Research Council titled Abrupt Climate Change, Inevitable Surprises. Uh, Michael Mann, it seems like we cover this all the time on the Green News Report. Uh, New reports saying that scientists have underestimated the concerns. This one says outpaced all scientific projects. So, uh, Dr. Mann, it once again begs the question, why can't you scientists get it right? (laughs) Well, you know, it, it, it is amazing, uh, the disconnect that we have today in the, in the public discourse over this issue between where the science actually is, mm-hmm. and, and obviously, you know, you folks uh, cover that very well, but there are other outlets um, that are more than happy to sort of play into the manufactured controversies, uh, the distractions, um, the various claims that are made not by you know, actual scientists or authoritative scientific um, institutions, but by paid hands of the fossil fuel industry and uh, people who uh, were for front groups um, representing the interests of the fossil fuel industry. And so what happens is you get this polluted uh, public discourse, um, and the public gets confused. They hear conflicting things. The scientists say one thing, but then they hear uh, from, you know, some uh, talking head that uh, the entire science of climate change is supposedly a fraud, a hoax, and they throw up their hands. Um, And that's exactly what those interests, those special interests want you to do. They understand. In fact, more than a decade ago, they did focus groups and polling that told them that all they needed to do was to convince the public that there was no scientific consensus. That would be enough to prevent any regulation of carbon emissions, which is what they're looking to do. In other words, you don't have to prove that uh, uh, climate change isn't happening or that man has nothing to do with it. All you have to do is inject enough confusion and fog into the mix uh, that people throw their hands up, walk away, and say, well, who knows? The science is still out. We saw that exact same thing in this uh, great video that uh, Peter Sinclair of Climate Croc of the Week uh, uh, put together. That's what the tobacco industry did. And it seems that's exactly the same model the fossil fuel industry is now uh, is now following. Well, it's not only the same model. Um, it's uh, the very same groups, uh, many of the same front groups that were funded by the tobacco interests um, in the past are now funded by fossil fuel interests uh, for the same reason, to generate confusion um, and disinformation um, and to manufacture a, 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 a fake uh, debate uh, about whether you know the problem mm-hmm. even exists. It's hey. what the tobacco industry did in the past. It's what the fossil fuel industry is doing now. And you know, it's some of the same paid advocates, some of the very same individuals with uh, you know putative uh, scientific credentials who were claiming uh, that there was no science 
uh, behind the linkage between tobacco and lung cancer, cancer, are now being paid by the fossil fuel industry to make the same argument about the linkage between fossil fuel burning and the health not of individual people, but our entire planet. And of course, not just uh, paid individuals, but elected officials as well. Uh, Joe Absolutely. Barton uh, from Tex- Texas, Congressman Joe Barton, was leading uh, the fight on behalf of big tobacco back in the 90s. He was leading the attacks on you in Congress. Same with uh, John Boehner, who was passing out checks uh, from the tobacco companies uh, to, to members on the floor of the House. He's been one of the big deniers saying, oh, well, you know, the science is out. Who knows? Uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's really striking to see those parallels. Yeah. Uh, Michael, let me ask you this. Uh, in, in thinking about the hockey stick graph, which is, of course, uh, at the center of your, your new book, The Hockey Stick Graph and the Climate Wars, yeah. um, is there any other, I was thinking about this last night, is there any other single graph in history, to your knowledge, uh, that has been as controversial or, or even as consequential as the hockey stick graph uh, that was included in your earth-shaking uh, 1999 report? Well, I think you've, you, you put your finger right on it. It's the fact that it was so consequential that made it so controversial, because that graph told uh, with a very simple you know, picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't need to understand you know, how a theoretical climate model works or any of the vagaries of climate science to understand what the graph is telling us, that there are these unprecedented uh, changes taking place in our climate today, and by inference, you know, probably has something to do with what human beings are doing. Um, and so it represented a real threat to those vested interests that don't want to see us regulate carbon emissions because it was such a compelling and simple to un- understand, you know, iconic uh, graph. And so it was necessary um, for them to try to bring it down. Um, they had to discredit that graph um, as far as they were concerned. And they had to do it by any means possible, which includes attacking uh, the authors themselves, and, and, and including myself as the as the lead author of that paper, that paper, I was just a uh, a postdoctoral mm-hmm. researcher at the time, and that's more than 15 years ago. Uh, but I've continued to be attacked by politicians in the pay of the fossil fuel industry. And by the way, may just be a coincidence that Joe Barton was the leading recipient of fossil fuel money in the entire U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah. When he was going after us, probably just a coincidence, right? <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> just a coincidence. I'm I'm ashamed that you even pointed that out, uh, Doctor Mann. And, <laughs> and it's part of an ongoing pattern, you know, yeah. where we continue to be attacked by politicians who are closely allied with the fossil fuel industry and various front groups and individuals, paid um, advocates for the fossil fuel industry, who continue to try to bring down this graph by, you know, sometimes by trying to bring me down personally in this very cynical effort to try to convince the public that you know the entire case for concern over climate change um, is based on one single 15-year-old study uh, by me. Um, and obviously, that's not the case. You could get rid of the hockey stick or all of the various studies that have um, reaffirmed it. And there are still many independent lines of evidence that tell us climate change is real, it's caused by us, and it's going to be a problem if we don't do something about it. Now, did you have any idea, uh, I, I, I suspect you couldn't have imagined the, the personal attacks uh, uh, that you faced over this uh, past decade or so. Um, but when you were working on this paper originally back in 98, 99, uh, did you have any idea how uh, controversial this, this, uh, these findings would be? Had the denialist movement already uh, kicked into gear in, in the late 90s? Or, or did all of this sort of come as a surprise to you? 
No, you know, when I was majoring in applied physics, uh, applied math and physics at UC Berkeley, um, um, I was, um, you know, I, I did that in, in an effort to place myself in the center of the largest public controversy in decades, right? That's why I study <laughs> right. math and physics so we can become uh, public figures. Right. And, in, uh, you know, in fractious uh, debates. No, it was the last thing, you know, on my mind. It was the last thing I ever envisioned uh, uh, doing with my life, um, in, you know, putting, placing myself in the fray um, of this, you know, huge, you know, contentious debate. Um, uh, I, you know, intended to, uh, you know, pursue a career uh, doing what I loved doing, which was solving problems, uh, you know, with computational approaches and in, in using physics and math to figure out the way the world works. And I got fascinated with this problem of, you know, the climate, Earth's climate system, the physics of the Earth's climate system. And I realized it was an area where I could apply you know, my training in physics and math, to work on a really interesting problem. At the time, I had no idea that that would lead me on a trajectory because of this graph that we would eventually publish that would suddenly place me, a, a science nerd who wanted nothing more than to be left alone in my computer lab working on interesting problems, you know, that it placed me in, in the center of this fractious, um, you know, public debate over climate change. And it's certainly not what I set out to do. Um, but over time, I have actually embraced, you know, the opportunity that it's given me to play a role in informing what may be, you know, the single greatest challenge that we confront as a society, as a civilization, uh, dealing with the problem of climate change. So while it isn't what I set out to do, um, I don't regret that I've, you know, found myself, you know, involuntarily and accidentally in a position to actually try to inform this important discussion. I'm speaking with self-described science nerd, Dr. Michael E. Mann. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. By the way, you can uh, you can tweet me throughout the show at the Brad Blog, uh, where you can call uh, me names, and uh, you can call Michael names, of course, as usual at Michael E. Mann with two N's on the Twitters as well. Uh, Dr. Mann, I recall a debate uh, over the past few years about whether scientists should merely be this. This came up a few years ago. Whether whether the scientists should merely be reporting their scientific facts and findings uh, and leave, you know, solutions and suggestions for solutions and political activism and so forth to others. Now, you've clearly taken a different tactic. You were campaigning last year, uh, or I guess this past year, against Ken Cuccinelli in Virginia. He was running for governor there against Terry McAuliffe, who ended up winning. Uh, you were campaigning uh, along with the Terry McAuliffe against Cuccinelli, who had yeah. attacked you in all kinds of ways. Uh, is there something to be said? Should scientists be in the political realm at all, or should you just be a science nerd turning out your, uh, your data from your, from your laboratories? It's a great question, you know, and it's something that we all struggle with as scientists because we're sort of raised, we're, we're, we're taught to avoid anything that even vaguely smells of, you know, uh, policy relevance, of uh, advocacy. Um, it's anathema, you know, or we're taught that, you know, as, a, as scientists, we're taught, um, that, you know, that, that, that it's something to be avoided. And as um, uh, the... Uh, MSNBC uh, commentator uh, Chris Hayes, uh, when I was on his show a few months ago, I think he put it very well uh, when he said, you know, uh, politics didn't, you know, you didn't come to politics, politics came to you. And, and that's what mm. happened. Whether I liked it or not, because of this iconic graph that we had published, um, 
and the need by you know fossil fuel interests to try to tear down that graph, tear down that result, discredit that result, um, and doing so by trying to tear me down personally, to discredit me personally. I, I wasn't really given a choice. I was tossed in, I found myself in the fray. I was tossed into the fray, and I had to decide what I was going to do with that. Was I just going to retreat into my lab and cover my ears and right. pretend that this isn't going on and uh, do nothing about the ongoing efforts to discredit me and my science and the entire science of climate change through so doing? Or, you know, would I fight back? And I'm not the kind of person who, you know, ever, you know, when I was growing up, I, I didn't like bullies, I, and, and I don't like them today. And when I see, you know, these very disingenuous um, and cynical efforts to discredit the science um, for, you know, for very narrow um, uh, you know, interests, um, for, you know, the, the short-term financial gain of certain, you know, powerful uh, corporate interests, um, and, you know, this effort to, in so doing, to mortgage the, the, the future of this planet for our children and grandchildren uh, so that, you know, a few of these, um, you know, folks can, uh, can benefit from the short-term financial gains of selling more and more, you know, fossil fuels. Um, I mean, it's, it's fundamentally, it's an ethical proposition. Um, you know, I think that we have an ethical obligation um, when there are those who are trying to poison the public discourse, those who are trying to confuse the public about the nature of the scientific evidence and the nature of the threat that we face, I think scientists have to get engaged because if we don't, then we leave a vacuum. Uh, there's a huge opportunity cost. If we do not engage, we leave this vacuum that's going to be filled by you know, those with uh, hidden agendas, those with vested interests uh, who are looking to thwart um, progress in dealing with this problem. So, you know, I, my own uh, role, my own view is that, you know, science, uh, you know, we didn't come to politics, politics came to us, but really, uh, we have no choice as, you know, as a scientific, uh, as, as a scientific community um, to defend, you know, our science from these, uh, these very cynical attacks by those looking to confuse the public in a way that may very well threaten the health of this planet. And and you talk about, and we're going to get into some of this uh, science momentarily, but, you know, you talk about uh, others coming in and filling this vacuum where, uh, you know, if scientists don't show up to sort of defend their work, um, we're seeing this, and you wrote about this, uh, something is rotten at the New York Times. This is, uh, uh, even when, you you know, there are folks like yourself coming up and, and, and defending the science, there is still, it seems, this vacuum at places uh, like, you know, mainstream media outlets like the New York Times that are giving space to uh, to folks like uh, Richard Muller, who, who was once uh, funded by, I don't know if he still is or not, but once founded, uh, funded by the, uh, the the Koch brothers. And uh, now he's come around and found that, uh, oh, yeah, there is global warming after all. Humans are causing it. I don't know if uh, Koch Industries is still funding him or not. Uh, but guys like him are given space in The New York Times today. Uh, what's his name? Lombor, uh, Bjorn Lomborg. Yeah, uh, posts uh, an op-ed again in the New York Times, which I think progress uh, pretty much hit the nail on the uh, hit the nail on the head here, describing it as New York Times runs op-ed asserting poor people need more carbon pollution, and in fact, right. 
That was the headline. The poor yep. need cheap fossil fuels by Bjorn uh, Lomborg. Uh, why are these guys uh, given this kind of space? And do they make uh, a legitimate argument? Lomborg's argument here essentially is that, you know, in, in countries with great poverty, they need coal, they need fossil fuel, they need, uh, you know, the quick fix of natural gas to get themselves out of poverty. We can worry about global warming uh, later on. Is there anything to that? Well, you know, folks like Bjorn Lomborg, um, you know, uh, the, there's really only been one consistent message over the years. Um, uh, he used to basically deny the basic science of climate change. And then he retweet, re, sort of retreated mm-hmm. uh, down what I describe in my book as the ladder of denial, the ladder of climate change denial, from it's not happening to it is happening, but it's natural to, okay, well, you know, maybe it's not entirely natural, but, hey, you know, it's not really... Uh, very much that we're responsible for to, well, you know, maybe it is largely us, but it's going to be good for us to (laughs) finally, well, you know what, even if it isn't going to be good for us, it's going to be too expensive to do something about it. And you know what, it's too late anyways. (laughs) Um, And, you know, coming full round. Uh, And that's really, you can see that in, in folks like Bjorn Lumberg. The only consistency in his message over the years is that we should not regulate carbon emissions. That's the only consistent message. Otherwise, he's changing his tune with regard to the facts that he's willing to accept and those that he's not. Um, and in this latest piece, he presents you know, a very false uh, equivalence, very false uh, choice, uh, as if really the only possibility, the only way to deal with uh, dirty wood burning is to burn fossil fuels instead, when in fact the simplest and most economic uh, you know, uh, solution would be to by cleaner burning stoves. And in fact, that's a solution which wouldn't continue to add carbon to the atmosphere. And we know that by adding carbon to the atmosphere and warming the planet and changing the climate, um, we are subjecting those very same people to a potentially much greater threat. If you look at the impact on fresh water, on food, on land, um, if we continue with business as usual, fossil fuel burning, and we commit to you know, another degree of global warming uh, in the decades ahead, we are likely to see uh, catastrophic impacts on human health, on food availability, on fresh water availability, especially among those um, you know, the develop, uh, developing world, um, the third world, where they don't have the resources to adapt to the changes that are coming in the way that we here in the industrial world do. So it's a very misguided, very cynical effort to sort of twist um, the facts in, in a way that, you know, basically sets up a false choice well, for it, the readers. Well, is it not worthy of, uh, of debate, however? Is it not worthy to, to give Lomborg room in the New York Times, uh, to, to give uh, uh, Richard Mueller room in the New York Times? I, I, Lomborg, I think, is an economist or something, if I recall. But uh, but Mueller, you know, he's a scientist. He's, uh, you know, had important papers. Should he not? Is this not the right way to move forward, to have this this uh, healthy public debate? You've been critical of it. You said New yeah. York Times should be ashamed of themselves. Well, uh, why, uh, Michael Mann? Shouldn't yeah. we have this discussion publicly like this? Well, there, there, you know, there's a, a, a term that's been used to describe this phenomenon. It's balance as bias. Um, the, the fact that if the editorial board of the New York Times decides to choose the issue of climate change as one that deserves a 50-50 balance. Well, you have the scientists have their say, you know, about how 
the the science is in, the climate is changing, um, it's a, a threat if we don't do something about it. But then you put them on the same pedestal with some industry-funded climate change denier or somebody who doesn't have uh, credentials when it comes to the the, uh, the, the underlying science of uh, the climate change or the impacts of climate change or the economics of climate change, but has a message that balances the message that's coming from the scientific community. Well, that's not really right, is it? If you've got you know, 99% mm-hmm. of the scientists in the world studying, this, uh, studying climate change, or in one recent study, to be specific, 97% saying that climate change is real, it's caused by us, and it represents a threat if we don't do something about it. And then... For that remaining 3%, you give them an equal platform. You give them 50% of the space on your editorial board. That's the problem. It's balance as bias, treating a matter that has, you know, where there is a factual answer, where there are, you know, there are objective truths when it comes to the science of climate change, and treating a matter of science as if it's just a matter of opinion that deserves equal balance. Um, is doing a disservice to the readers. Uh, a couple of quick questions uh, before I let you go here, uh, Dr. Mann. Uh, first, there's this new report. Uh, where's my note on this? Uh, well, it's not even a report. It's it's the Heartland Institute, uh, essentially uh, misrepresenting a new report comes from that comes from the American Meteorological Association. And I know that you are a, a meteorologist and. Uh, the Heartland. I don't play one on TV, though. I know you don't play one, and that's this gets us sort of the heart of my question here. The Heartland Institute, these just completely uh, sleazy, fossil-funded uh, this group who will lie about anything, who have compared uh, climate scientists, you know, to uh, mass murderers. It's really remarkable. So they misrepresented this new study from the AMS. They put out an email at making it look as if it came from an uh, right. from the AMS. Uh, this is just, again, this week, trying to downplay the widespread belief among members of the American Meteorological Society that climate change yeah. is happening and influenced by humans. So uh, g- explain this to me, because this comes up all the time. What's yeah. the difference between a meteorolo- meteorologist and a climate scientist, and why does it seem that there actually are so many weathermen and weather women who are deniers, Michael Mann? Yeah, well, you know, if you actually look uh, across the entire field of uh, atmospheric science and meteorology, what you would find is that most uh, of uh, the scientists um, are in line, you know, their, 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 their beliefs and their understanding are, are in line with the prevailing consensus of the world scientific community that, you know, climate change is real, it's caused by us. Um, now, it turns out that there has been uh, somewhat of a strain of contrarianism in broadcast meteorology. Um, and there are various historical reasons for that that I, I, we don't really have time to discuss fully, uh, but that there has been a little bit more skepticism among uh, you know, broadcast meteorologists when it comes to the science of climate change. At a very basic level, uh, it has to do with the fact that what they're focused on, what they're studying, the very large day-to-day changes in weather and temperature and huge swings in the jet stream, when you're looking at that on a day-to-day basis, it's actually challenging to see the smaller but nonetheless significant and mounting effect of climate change over time. And the, the bottom line is with what the American Meteorological Society, uh, so that, that study showed that basically uh, meteorologists um, 
do more or less, uh, you know, hold the views of the scientific consensus when it comes to this matter. But what the Heartland Institute, which, by the way, uh, was formerly um, an advocacy group representing the tobacco industry, so they were a front group for big tobacco before they were a front group for other industries and are now today a front group for the fossil fuel industry. Um, and they're funded by the Koch brothers and other uh, interests of that sort. Uh, they actually sent out an email. It was essentially fakery. It was supposed to look like it was coming from the American Meteorological Society. It even had their emblem. And it actually led to the unprecedented action, at least in my experience, of the American Meteorological Society, a very stolid, conservative organization, um, coming out and, and calling them out um, in pretty harsh terms for having tried to present themselves as the American Meteorological Society, and especially in such a cynical way where they were actually trying to argue that the study showed the opposite of what it, it mm-hmm. actually showed, that, that meteorologists do, uh, by and large, um, you know, accept the scientific evidence. So it just sort of underscores the you know, just the depth uh, to which some of these front groups and organizations are, are willing to sink in this very cynical effort to pollute our discourse. And the Heartland Institute, as you said, has a history of fake reports and presenting themselves as scientists when they're not and putting up billboards comparing climate scientists to the Unabomber. Uh, you know, I think that that speaks volumes about the integrity of groups like the Heartland Institute, and it tells you about how much, you know, stock you should put in what they have to say. It, it, you know, it it does, and it also uh, underscores what a success they are, because in fact, uh, we've spent the last thirty minutes uh, talking not about the science, but about the attacks. We're going to have to hold the, more of the science, I guess, for another day. Doctor Mann, he's the physicist and climatologist, author of the Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars: Dispatches from the Front Lines, now out in paperback, just in time for Christmas, with a new guest forward by Bill Nye, the Science Guy. And by the way, I, you know, I've been at the the center of some of these attacks from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I can't even imagine, uh, Michael, what you have been up against. So for people who we'll are both... We'll get together and compare notes. Yes, we will. Well, for people who are interested in both the science and what it's like to be on those uh, global front lines, uh, this is the book, The Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars, Dispatches from the Front Lines by Dr. Michael E. Mann. Really glad uh, we finally got to chat, and I hope we get to do it, uh, do it again soon, my friend. Absolutely. Let's do it. Thank you, sir. All right. Science is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real from evolution to the Milky Way. I like those stories about angels, unicorns, and elves. Now I like those stories as much as anybody else.
Yeah, science is real. Right here on the Bradcast, we're going to take a quick break. By the way, the hockey stick and the climate climate wars, dispatches from the great li- front lines, uh, you know, tell the fossil fuel industry to get lost. Go buy that book. That'll learn them. We're going to take a quick break, come back with much more, including Desi Doyen and the Green News Report, the Florida election official uprising that is ongoing now, and, of course, good Pope news. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay with us. The truth is with science. The truth is with science. Science is real. Science is real. Science is real. Stepping into the Future documents a celebration on April 11, 2011 at the Harlem Stage in New York City to mark the publication of Bob Avakian's Handbook for Revolution in the 21st Century, Basics, a Celebration of Revolution and the Vision of a New World, featuring performances and interviews along with archival footage with Avakian, Dr. Cornell West, Richard Brown, the filmmaker Annie Day, and Carl Dix. It traces Avakian's roots in the 60s, from his work with the Black Panther Party to women's liberation and thoughts on revolutionary China. With Reflections of artists and participants inspired by the possibility of a world free of oppression, Stepping into the Future screens at 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday, December 11th at Lemley's Monica Fourplex, 1332 2nd Street in Santa Monica. KPFK is a proud media sponsor, and KPFK Film Club members are invited to call the front desk during business hours at 818-985-2711, dial 0 for operator, for a pair of tickets to this one-night-only screening, which includes reception and Q&A with the director. And if you aren't already a Film Club member, please consider joining at kpfk.org. What is love? And the evidence is clear. I'm not alone. There are thousands of us here. This is my democracy. You won't go telling me my vote don't matter anymore. And is not worth fighting for. Yep. Fighting for your democracy right here on the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, your friendly citizen, investigative journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. We will have some democracy news and some people fighting for your vote down in Florida, where the election officials are now fighting for votes against the Secretary of State. Get to that in a moment. And uh, Desi Doyen will be uh, joining us for the Green News, too. Uh, Pope Francis is apparently sneaking out of the Vatican at night to serve the homeless. That's right. The leader of the Catholic Church has been quietly sneaking out at night to uh, to minister to homeless residents, according to a new report. Swiss guards confirmed that the Pope has ventured out at night, dressed as a regular priest, to meet with homeless men and homeless women. According to the uh, Huffington Post, the report hinted that Pope Francis had sneaked out of the enclave with Archbishop Konrad Krajewski, as almoner of His Holiness, Krajewski is the Vatican's joint person, uh, I'm sorry, point person on giving charity to the poor and visits the destitute nightly. This isn't the first time the, uh, that Pope Francis has earned attention and praise for his predilection to serve the needy. 
What does it tell us that it's news that the Pope is interested in serving the needy? Man. Uh, Anyway, just months after assuming his papacy, he invited nearly 200 homeless people to join him for dinner at the Vatican. He also said, well, I'd like to see uh, President Obama invite 200 homeless people to join him for dinner at the White House. Uh, Anyway, he also uh, deplored the plight of homeless people in the first apost—how do you say this? Apost—apostolic— Is that how you say it? I don't know. I'm Jewish. Apostolic uh, exhortation of his papacy last week, uh, writing, How can it be that it is not a news item when an elderly homeless person dies of exposure, but it is news when the stock market loses two points? Good, uh, Good point, Pope. This, of course, is driving Rush Limbaugh crazy. He's calling the Pope a Marxist. So you know this Pope has got to be good. Anything that's driving Rush Limbaugh crazy. Here's what Stephen Colbert had to say about the uh, Pope sneaking out at night uh, from the Vatican. This week, there was news out of the Holy See that has me wholly seething. Pope Francis may have a secret life. Rumors he sneaks out of the Vatican at night might be true. The Pope dresses in regular priest clothes, goes into Rome, and ministers to the homeless. The Pope won't confirm it himself. Oh, my God. He's a vigilante vicar. Coming to the help of those in need. He's the Bat Pope. Holy, holy father nation. (laughs) It all makes so much sense now. He's just like Bruce Wayne. He's a wealthy bachelor who lives alone in a giant mansion. (laughs) And Bruce Wayne has the Batmobile, while Francis has the Popemobile. (laughs) Not only that, Batman talks to Morgan Freeman, and the Pope talks to God, who is also Morgan Freeman. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, He may be the Bat Pope. The Bat Pope. I love covering Pope stories. Uh, Not only because it drives uh, John Wiener crazy. He he follows us here on KPFK afterwards. And every time I finish, he's like, you're talking uh, positive about the Pope on KPFK on Pacifica? Yes. Yes, I am. I like the Pope. The new Pope. This Pope. Uh, All right. More good news. Uh, The American Legislative Exchange Council has a funding problem Since the Trayvon Martin saga, that's right, the uh, American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, facing a potential funding problem. Oh, this is so sad. After losing a number of big donors in recent years, according to The Guardian, documents obtained by them show that the lobbying group, this is a right-wing lobbying group, this is a corporate lobbying group, these are the guys who have been pushing uh, for voter suppression laws around the country, pushing for stand-your-ground laws around the country. These are really bad guys, frankly. And now they're having money problems. Very sad. Uh, The Guardian uh, got documents that show the lobbying group has identified over 40 corporate members, including Amazon, Coca-Cola, Walmart, uh, that they have lost and they're trying to attract back. Numerous companies have cut ties with the group following the Stand Your Ground uh, law issues raised by the fatal shooting of Trayvon Martin in February of 2012. The documents prepared for Alex's Alex's recent annual board meeting show that money raised from conferences, membership fees and donations has fallen short 
In the first six months of 2013, Alec had a budget hole totaling more than one-third of its projected income. The Guardian also learned that more than 400 state legislators who had been members of Alec working with them in secret to create this model legislation to be pl- passed in state legislatures across the country. More than 400 of those state legislators have since left ALEC over the past two years. Good. Public pressure. This company, this company, they are a company, this organization, ALEC, uh, tax-exempt organization, by the way, truly actually a lobbying organization, uh, you know, they've been pushing what they believe are free market ideas, free market principles, capitalism. People had no idea who these people were until just a couple of years ago. Now we do. Now people are shaming the corporations and the public officials that are associated with them. And it's hurting Alec. That's good because, hey, isn't that the free market, Alec? Isn't that exactly what you're calling for? The free market and people saying no. We don't like your product. We want nothing to do with you. We want nothing to do with the people who you are involved with. Sounds good to me, Alec. Your plan is working. There's some good news. Uh, More good news down in Florida. Now, this is an amazing story. I covered it uh, this morning at bradblog.com, so you can stop on over there for uh, for all the details. But at this point, the slogan for Republican secretaries of state around the country seems to be, if it ain't broke, break it. That is apparently what uh, Secretary of State Ken Detzner from Florida, fresh off his and Governor Rick Scott's embarrassing and failed 2012 purge of supposed non-citizen voters from the rolls, non-citizen voters who didn't uh, actually exist, as it turns out. Now he's got a new scheme, a new scam. Uh, He put out a directive last week, just before Thanksgiving, uh, telling uh, state election officials who are elected, by the way, in Florida, 67 counties, they elect their own uh, supervisors of elections. That's what they call their clerks, their registrars. Those people are elected. Ken Detzner, he's appointed by Governor Rick Scott. And Detzner's edict instructed uh, election officials that they are no longer to allow remote drop-off locations for absentee ballots. So they would set up secure places for absentee ballots to be dropped off at libraries, at uh, at the tax collector's office. Detzner's uh, edict said, uh, no, you can't do that anymore. You have to either mail in absentee ballots or you have to bring them to the actual election office. And he said that it was um, just clarifying, not changing the laws, but just clarifying them after a couple of supervisors had asked him, uh, you know, for, for clarification on these rules. As it turns out, um, the supervisors of elections down there in Florida are now uprising. One of them told me uh, when I asked for uh, for comment last week on this, uh, he wrote to me, yeah, I do have a comment. Legally, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. That response came from Leon County Supervisor of Elections, Ion Sancho, legendary uh, supervisor of elections, so entrusted by both uh, major parties in Florida, he was put in charge of the 2000 presidential election recount down in Florida, at least until it was called off by the Supreme Court. Uh, he was furious about this uh, edict and and said it ain't legal. And so is Pinellas County Supervisor of Election Deborah Clark, a Republican in her case. She emailed a reply to Detzner uh, last Monday 
Uh, so, I'm sorry, this Monday, uh, this week, uh, he, she ceded to all of the other supervisors. Uh, Brad Blog obtained a copy. We posted it at bradblog.com. Deborah Clark stated flatly that she will ignore the edict from uh, from the Secretary of State. She will continue using drop-off locations for absentee ballots, quote, including in the impending special primary election. And that seems to be what uh, a lot of this comes down to. We've got a new election coming up in Florida. Primary is going to be in January, a congressional election to replace Congressman Bill Young, the longest-serving Republican congressman In the House of Representatives, he died in October. He's been serving since 1971. So there's an upcoming special election. This has been a safe Republican seat for decades, frankly, since 1971, since Bill Young got in. But now this election is thought to be a toss-up. And so what happens? What's the first thing that happens? Ken Detzner comes out and says, yeah, you know what? Um, No more drop-offs for those absentee ballots. And Deborah Clark in Pinellas County, where this election will be, the 13th uh, district is now all in Pinellas County. She says, no way, I'm not going to follow it. Uh, I spoke to uh, Susan Booker, who's a Democrat. Uh, By the way, uh, Deborah Clark is a Republican. I spoke to Susan Booker. She's a Democrat, uh, the supervisor in Palm Beach County, Florida. She told me that Deb Clark has worked hard to get many of her voters to vote by absentee. Last year, 42 percent of 100,000 voters voted by absentee in Pinellas County and uh, that they have the highest ratio of absentee voters to registered voters in the state. So uh, Booker was not happy about it. Uh, Clark was not happy about it. Ion Sancho was not happy about it. We're looking at an uprising in the state of Florida. One other point here. Uh, I'll, I'll point you to Brad Blog for more on this, but one other point. Uh, those two supervisors who Secretary of State Ken Detzner had said had requested a clarification on this uh, on this on this rule. Both of those supervisors have now come forward and said, no, we didn't. We d- said nothing of the kind. In fact, one of them, Brian Corley, the Pasco County, Florida supervisor of elections, said that he was just contacting Ken Detzner's office to uh, let them know about a an error in the 2014 voter registration and voting guide. I love his quote. He said, a simple thank you from the Division of Elections would have sufficed for catching an error and bringing it to the division's attention in lieu of falsely relaying to the media that I put in for a request. Another, uh, the other one, what's his uh, name here? Clay, uh, Clay County's Chris Chambliss uh, said, uh, quote, in my past experiences, an informal telephone conversation is in no way the process with which a supervisor of elections would request an advisory opinion, much less a directive from the Secretary of State. So once again, Ken Detzner and Governor Rick Scott in the uh, in the state of Florida making idiots of themselves trying to do something maybe suppress the vote at least that's what senator uh, nelson says bill nelson says down there uh in regard to this uh it, it's it's, it's an, an amazing story oh and by the way Destner is now he's backing off a bit he was asked oh she's defying you are you going to sue her he said no nah, we won't sue her but we're not going to change the directive So we will see much more on that, uh, I suspect, in the weeks ahead in the run-up to the January uh, primary 
in Florida. Watch for that. Also, stop by Bradblog.com. We've got the latest there. i got to get to the green news, so I can't go into detail. But we've got the latest there on the Virginia Attorney General's race, which is the closest race, closest statewide race in history in Virginia. That is uh, is heading for a recount in mid to late December. And then beyond that, a contest where Republicans could unleash the nuclear option. They could file an election contest, throws the whole thing to the Virginia state legislature where they have a Republican majority uh, who could, if they want, completely steal the election from the Democrat who's now leading uh, by 165 votes out of 2.2 million. But we'll see what happens in this recount and if those numbers change. Keep your eyes on Virginia through Christmas. Yes, Santa Claus, there is a Virginia. Let's do some green news. It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many others. Not easy for uh, Dr. Michael Mann. Yeah, no kidding. He didn't get into the harassment that he has suffered, the death threats, the just all the crazy stuff that he's gone through just trying to uh, support and and be a scientist, which is is just insane that that this kind of thing carries on. That's, of course, Desi Doyen, my co-host on the Green News Report and our producer here. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting discussion with uh, Dr. Michael Mann. We will have it up at bradblog.com if you missed any portion of that conversation. Uh, you ready to do some green news? Yeah, let's get to it. Let's do it. It's official. Hottest spring on record down under. BP suit halts Gulf oil spill compensation. New rules for toxic flame retardants. Say goodbye to antibacterial soaps. Plus... And the owners of these assets are not going to take kindly to their value being impaired by policies designed to tackle climate change. Wall Street may finally be looking to cover its assets. It's what? Assets. All of that asset covering and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Eric, what do you think? <laughs> if I were a Republican, I'd run on this, Obamacare, and they're using uh, our, our sports teams to promote um, climate change. If you were a Republican, Eric Bowling of Fox News, you are darling. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, this week at Brad Blog, I ran a video by Peter Sinclair of Climate Crocs of the Week that compares the denialist tactics used by Big Tobacco in the 90s to the denialist tactics used by Big Fossil Fuel right now. And the uh, parallels are indeed striking. Yes, not only do you have the same techniques to confuse people about the science of climate change, they're also the same people using the same tactics that they used before to confuse people about the impacts of tobacco. Indeed. And to discredit scientists, we see Congressman Joe Barton of Texas as part of this, House Speaker John Boehner as part of this. Both of those guys were leading the charge for big tobacco, claiming who knows if it causes cancer back in the 90s. It's amazing 
advertising, check out the video at bradblog.com. What else you got for us today? Well, first, it's official. Australia just had its hottest spring on record and is well on track to have its warmest year ever. Impossible. Fox News continues to tell me the globe is cooling, not warming, but go ahead with your fantasies. Yes, Australia begs to differ. One city in Western Australia was stuck at 104 degrees Fahrenheit for 29 days straight, and it isn't even summer there yet. An update in the BP oil disaster. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals on Monday ordered a temporary halt to compensation payments to Gulf Coast residents hurt by BP's disastrous oil spill three years ago. Although BP agreed to a compensation formula earlier this year, BP now says it wants to change that compensation formula and require businesses to prove that their losses were directly caused by the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Three years later, BP has paid less than half of the claims that have been filed. But again, that's impossible. I've seen the BP commercials. They say they've fixed everything down there in the Gulf. So continue with your fantasies, Des. Meanwhile, we've been reporting on the calculations that two-thirds of the world's fossil fuel reserves cannot be burned if we are to avoid dangerous climate change. That, of course, has serious implications for fossil fuel companies. In a move that underscores Wall Street's growing awareness of the risk of investing in fossil fuels, Bloomberg Financial Services over the weekend quietly launched a new carbon risk valuation tool for its high-end investors to help them calculate the risks of investing in specific oil, coal, and natural gas companies. So I'm an investor. Uh, Am I going to lose money investing in this company or that company based on on the risk of future climate change? Right, because those companies' valuation is based on their fossil fuel reserves. If those fossil fuel reserves can't be used, they're worthless. Well, maybe, but again, don't tell Fox business news, okay? In the meantime, solar stocks are booming. Year-to-date, the top three performing tech stocks in the U.S., are all solar companies. Once again, today's report doesn't make sense. The deniers have told me that solar is not profitable. I just don't get it. It's like everything they've told me is wrong. Go figure. Two good news developments to reduce your toxic chemical exposure. First, the Food and Drug Administration will finally phase out the use of the chemical triclosan in antibacterial soaps and other consumer products. This is after decades of laboratory studies that link triclosan to reproductive and developmental problems and contamination of waterways and the rise of antibacterial superbugs. Second, the state of California will phase out the use of toxic flame retardant chemicals in children's furniture. Studies have shown that flame retardants don't actually work, but the Chicago Tribune exposed how the powerful tobacco and chemical industries were actually behind a misleading and deceptive campaign in the 1970s to promote flame retardants after a series of deadly fires caused by lit cigarettes. Flame retardant chemicals, again, that don't work, are now found in the blood of nearly every American. There you go, big tobacco again. Wait, we're supposed to send our children to bed in flammable pajamas? (laughs) No, they're not. Oh, boy. Stop by greennews.bradblog.com and read the full story. It really is mind-blowing. Why Desi Doyen is in favor of lighting children on fire, I don't know. (laughs) Stop by our website, as she said, and don't forget, you can download us anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Find us and like us on the Facebook and follow us 24-7 on the Twitter. At Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. I don't want to set the world on.
So coming up on tomorrow's Green News Report, we have a new study uh, that discusses the likelihood of abrupt climate change in like the next two decades. It's uh, fascinating stuff. Fascinating and terrifying. Tune Uh, into that. Yeah, you know. We'll see. Greennews.bradblog.com. Thank you, Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to G, our soundboard operator, coming up. On uh, the 4 o'clock report with John Wiener, Obama's deportation regime. Not going to want to miss that. Also, my thanks to Dr. Michael E. Mann, author of The Hockey Stick and the Climate Wars, Dispatches from the Front Lines, Buy It for Christmas. Uh, Until we meet again, you can find me on the Twitters at TheBradBlog and, of course, at Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America. Listening to Pacifica Radio KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles, 98.7 FM Santa Barbara, and streaming globally at kpfk.org.